The Sports Bar with Danger and Bataglia. At the NFL Combine in Indianapolis. Tamper Fest. Bills head coach Sean McDermott telling the athletic, quote, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when, end quote. That being on the Bills winning a Super Bowl. The Bengals have officially used their franchise tag on wideout T. Higgins. Reed's coming back. What's best for the Bears is to reset the clock, lean on your defense, draft a rookie who could be the best quarterback prospect since Andrew Luck, and take your chances. Broncos country. Let's ride. Perfect. Over the next five years, I want to win, too. I want to feel the chill of that trophy again. Cam Newton was at an event for his charity, and he got jumped by a bunch of dudes. Mike Danger. Ah! Franks and Beans. Gene Battaglia. My friends do not call me Eugene. What I'll really remember about Jim Boeheim's coaching career is the longevity of it and the sustained success over such a long period of time. College basketball needs to ban court storming. A new state-of-the-art video board, a new roof to the arena next season. 95.7 FM and AM 950, The Fan, Rochester. Get excited about a new roof? Nobody should be excited about a new roof, Tanger. Yeah, I, I'm uh, I'm lukewarm on the Sabres now. I, I just had a good Sabres experience in the last 24 hours. Lukewarm is a step up from... That's right. Yeah. That's from where we were last week at this time, where we weren't even mentioning them because it was a, a bad word, the S word. How many people there last night? No idea. Well, upper deck eyeball. Was it half fill? No. It- I mean, it was, it was not poorly attended. I don't think. Um, it... Uh, I will say that there is a lack of vibe. Here's here's my takeaway. The entire arena is filled with people ready to be angry. And it's one thing to get on officials when when they're wrong. We all get on officials when they're wrong. But that was really like the most electric the, the building got aside from them winning it all last night. Um the the they got the most rowdy when refs were blowing the calls and so it it just tells me i all right i get it everybody wants to yell at referees when they blow a call but we're just all ready to be disappointed and we're all ready to be angry so it's a very kind of tense environment it's a very tense setting i wouldn't even say that it's a fun setting i just say it's a tense setting a key bank when the sabers are playing at home Fifteen thousand six eighty last night so what does it see 19 something yeah and um hey look it was a great game it was my nephews for my and my brother-in-law their first ever nhl game they'd never been to a sabers game they'd never been to an nhl game my nephew's 11 i'm like do you want to go yeah I, it's a school night are you sure probably get you home around 10 yeah, of course. And so they they were in. I got a little certificate with his name on it and the team's the oh. whole cool thing, right? Like it's a lot of fun. And they had a blast. So they had a blast. I had a blast. They won and they went over time in the shootout. It was thrilling. It was exciting. They came back twice in that game. And listen, you know, scheduling, if you want to complain about scheduling, if you're Carolina, playing two games in the NHL in less than 24 hours when you had to travel, playing a tough Dallas team on Saturday night, and then turning around and, and a 6 o'clock puck drop. That's why I was wondering, like, why would they put that on a Sunday night? And like, oh, well, that's why. They like, can't make it totally unfair for Carolina. So, yeah, that's going to happen from time to time. Maybe the Sabres caught a break. All right, if this team's worth anything, then go win in Florida and Tampa Bay. I, I think it's Pretty wild danger. That's the first three-game winning streak we've had this year. It's it's ridiculous. Yeah. It's ridiculous. But it, it speaks to just how inconsistently they've played 
throughout the course of the season. And they're at 500. And it's like, you hear that they're at 500. It's like, yep, that makes sense. They can't string. And, and even if they were to string together a long streak now, if this three games becomes 10 games, it probably is too late. But, you know, in typical fashion, they'll do enough just to make us think, oh, yeah, they can run it back. They can bring back all the same pieces and all the same guys, and they don't have to change much because look at how they ended the season last year. Yeah, not going to be good enough. Not going to be good enough this next offseason. Uh, Sean McDermott is speaking to the media, Gino, at some point this afternoon. If yeah, you, understand. you know, at some point four yeah big question mark here yeah. so like if we if we can time this out we'll bring it to you and again i think mike Catalan was uh correct in saying what's the number one thing we're going to learn okay uh how much trust you're putting in bobby babbage are you right? calling plays next yeah. year and he might not tell us matt eberflus of the bears in his press conference last week told the reporters there i'm calling the plays. so eric washington is the defensive coordinator new defensive coordinator you hired a guy but it will be me calling the plays. you could say the same thing about buffalo like his how much responsibility are you giving Babich? Are you going to hand it all over to him? Or are you going to continue to play? If, if you ask me right now, I'm saying McDermott is going to call his plays this year. I don't think he's handing that over. Uh, you, you may be right, but I don't think we learn anything. I think we're going to go to the, we'll see how it goes kind of thing. He might not, he might give off the impression that we're just going to throw things against the wall and see if it's six. He knows, he knows right now. He what He knows. Doing. And like in his way, this would give you, I don't know, some sort of competitive advantage right now to know who is calling the plays. Like, please, right. It's February. <laughs> yes, exactly right. Uh, until then, let's get some takes on tap. Nate Gary stopping by the sports bar here in about 15, 20 minutes. Yeah, so uh, takes on tap. And the big story today when uh, a lot of people firing up uh, Monday morning, you look at Peter King. Whoa, he's retiring. Look, congratulations to Peter King. He's 66. It feels about right. And reading his column this morning one last time, I got the sense danger. It was actually the offseason that was dragging him down. Not the offseason like right now, but if there's nothing happening, like say in the month of June, the need to constantly feed the beast, put another log on the fire, as he would say, yeah, that gets kind of draining. And He's also pointing where things are really heading here, and King using the word Pravda. Pravda was the newspaper in the Soviet Union back in the day, and like the NFL media, you don't get where he's going. Like we need to control the message here, and the NFL media is expanding. The team, every team has their own media, and just always take note of where you get your news from. I'm going to miss that column on Monday mornings, but trust me, there are going to be other writers that we're going to gravitate to. Yeah. Um, hey, there, there's a lot of guys writing about specific teams, writing about the NFL that do a really, really good job. And he mentioned a few of them uh, in his article. One of them I know we've had on Ben Solak has been on with us before. He's he's great. Mm-hmm. I do like his work. Hey, look, we mentioned him last hour, and I know this might upset some people, but I think Ty Dunn does a really good job writing about the NFL. When he gets into it, he gets into it. He cites his sources. He gets after it. Um, that doesn't mean that he's necessarily going to be the next Peter King, but he's laying the foundation for a long career reporting on the NFL and writing about the NFL, which I think is great. So, um, happy trails to Peter King, but there's a, there's a part of me that wants to believe that what he did today isn't really a goodbye. And that when it comes time to training camp at the end of July, Peter King is still kind of you know, showing up and, and saying hi to people. Right. He can like, he doesn't have to worry about 10,000 words on a Sunday night in the month of May when nothing's happening, but you can kind of show up and you can kind of weigh in. Like 
That's the, what everybody says in retirement. So I hear like you, he gives you the ability to do whatever you want to do. Mm-hmm. We wish him well. He was great when he was on with us uh, during training camp in the uh, 2022 season, I want to say. It was yes. fantastic having him on with us. Can I get a verdict on storming the court, Gino, or storming the field? Because I know we've discussed it recently. I only have memory of doing it once in high school for the girls' basketball team making it to the States. And, and between Caitlin Clark getting trucked or Duke's uh, Kyle Filipowski spraining his ankle after losing yep. the Wake Forest this weekend, I'm kind of torn here. The fan experience is incredible. But people have been trampled in situations worse or less than this. And and knowing the litigious society that we live in, Gino, is it just a matter of time before they're banned entirely? One kid dies storming the court, then the family sues the school, and the, they win. The school loses out. Court storming is eliminated moving forward. I mean, that's all it's going to take. All Why that, should whoa, it take whoa, that far? Back it up. Oh, you're, 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 you're jumping ahead here, my friend. Like, you don't even, like, the insurance will go up. Unless you put these safeguards in about storming the court or whatever, unless there's a policy. I look at what the SEC is doing, and is that really about fan safety and player safety? can't be about player safety. They're wearing a helmet and pads. No, it's about your insurance premiums going up. And any insurance company, look, this Duke player that, that sprained his ankle, if he wanted to kind of bring something, any fan that wants to bring something to it, it's disappointing because – Yes, and I've stormed the court twice when I was in college. I don't recall, like, anybody trucking anybody or anything. It was just you kind of run out, and you're there with your teammates. I saw uh, an attempted storming of the field earlier in the college football season. Remember when Colorado, I think they beat Nebraska, whoever they beat at home. And, you know, it was so funny because, like, you had security there. They knew that the court was going to be – that the field was going to be stormed, but they held everybody back because they wanted to get prime off the field first. And you saw – students and fans, you know, kind of like trepidatiously, like, can we go? Can we, can we like, it was almost like by holding them back, you were making it more intense. And that when you did finally let them go, they were going to unleash fury. I it's, it's tough, man. I, I hate to think that something horrible could happen in one of these situations. And, And you could argue if you're a Duke fan, something horrible already has happened. One of your best players got injured, something senseless, is storming the court, but it could be a lot worse than that, obviously. Um, and I fear like it's, I fear oh, that it's, it's going to go away. I don't even think it, don't, don't fear it is going to go away at some point because as you mentioned, litigious society and you don't see this in the pros anymore, danger. Like, Hey, your team wins a championship. Everybody's storming the field. Like go look at the Yankees. What is it? 1977 Chambliss hits the home run. Then everybody running out and like Reggie Jackson's ready. Like swing haymakers, just trying to get off the field yeah. and everything. Um, and this happened in Buffalo. Remember it was 1988. The bills finally won the division. Everybody storms the field and ripping down the goalpost and then throwing the goalpost out into the parking lot. Ripping down the goalpost. I I mean, I was wondering, like, if the Bills get by the Chiefs, say, in the AFC Championship game, like, what scenario would there exist where the fans in Western New York would storm the field? And I can't think of anyone. It would have to be a some sort of Super Bowl clinching playoff win at Highmark Stadium in the last game at Highmark Stadium. I could see that. You could see that. Yeah, because it's done. We know it's it's over. This is it. This is the last game at this, you know, this We're just take this, chairs yeah. whatever. Everything is everything is up for grabs. It could be that that could be a dangerous potentially dangerous situation if it comes down to it. I hate that, man. I I mean 
Happy for Wake Forest fans. And, you know, look, you could say, oh, it's a regular season game. Act like you've been there before. No, you beat Duke. That means something. Yeah. You know, when when the Orange beat Carolina, nobody had. We were on this show that week saying, you know, the spread isn't wide enough. They're going to get clobbered. And they did the unlikely. Celebrate when that happens. But apparently can't storm the court or the field for much longer. Yeah, it's, uh, and look, leave it to students only, maybe. I don't know. There's there's no solution other than you ban it all together. And I'm not like Jay Billis waving my finger here and like shame, shame, shame. I hate shame. it. Yeah. I hate that they're talking about banning yeah. it. I think it's ridiculous. But it, you're right. It's probably going to happen. Yeah. Um, another take here. We, we brought up Tim Graham earlier. He's got a piece on The Athletic today where he actually caught up with Sean McDermott last night. It sounds like they were kind of like in the restaurant or wherever they were, a bar. I don't know. Like there's a monitor on and you they're showing – Highlights of the Chiefs went over the Bills and like, oh, you got to be, uh, you know, kidding me. That was maybe the most interesting thing you actually got out of McDermott in this piece, other than what was the quote there? Like, it's not a, a matter the, of if. if it's, a, you know, it's when we win the Super Bowl, which exactly what you would want to hear, I suppose, if you are a uh, Buffalo Bills fan. But, uh, you know, Graham lays out exactly why the fan base might be getting just a little bit edgy. And it's a lack of information. Let me read from Tim Graham in The Athletic. Within roughly the past two calendar years, McDermott refused to explain 13 seconds. Kim Bagula's absence wasn't detailed for months. Leslie Frazier abruptly departed without explanation. Diggs harboring an internal belief that hasn't been divulged. The public felt that wishes were disregarded about the new stadium despite taxpayer dollars. An organization released Ariza after a civil accusation, later withdrawn, yet supported pass rusher Von Miller after his domestic violence arrest. Several in the Bills front office have been fired, and Terry Pagula doesn't do interviews. It's as simple as the fan base beginning to not trust the team that they love. Right? Do you trust Sean McDermott? You have to, I suppose. Do you, though? Do you trust Brandon Bean? Do you trust Terry Pagula? There's something that McDermott in his DNA, he will never admit he was wrong. Did he admit he was wrong with the Diggs thing? Maybe he walked it back like a, a little bit. But I mean, he, the, the 9-11 thing was something he had to kind of account for, right? Yeah. The, the terrorist comment that he made that, that was exposed in the Ty Dunn piece. You have to have that kind of arrogance, I suppose, if you're an NFL head coach. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when, citing how how much you've actually won. He's only missed the postseason once since being the Buffalo Bills head coach. It's impressive. Regular season, impressive. Can't get over on Cincinnati, can't get over on Kansas City when it matters. And then, on top of all of that, everything that you just listed off, it becomes, you're a hard guy to trust. You say, we hear you say all these things, but where's the action behind it? And we don't quite see it. It doesn't always add up. And look, the double standard with Ariza and Von Miller, we talked about that last week. That drives me crazy. Yeah, like a lot of that in that list, okay? Like that and you're talking about Kim, well, Kim, Kim Bagula, Bagula, I understand. Like, yeah, like yeah, if yeah. you don't want to talk about that or if you don't want to, like that's you, personal. You cannot talk about yeah, that, right? that's personal. It's fine. But, you know, not, not, holding anybody accountable for 13 seconds, the way that the way that Frazier was dismissed, all of that kind of shady. 
a little bit sketch. And if you're somebody like me, I just don't know that I trust the guy. When he says what he says, I don't know that he's... It's part of why we have fun with McDermott McLeod. It's 13 seconds, it's Frazier, and it's Diggs. 13 seconds being at the top, you can put the other two. But those are the three stories. I'm like, wait a second. What's really going on? I don't like how how the Dorsey thing went last year. I thought that was kind of sloppy. I thought that was a little clumsy. So there might be more to that, too, Mm. that we'll never know about. And Dorsey's not going to talk about it because he's employed. If he was unemployed, maybe he would talk about it, but it's not happening. Same thing with Frazier out in Seattle. Yep, yep. So everything works out, and this is the business that they're in. So they don't have to explain anything. But I think it's fair to, to feel like, all right, there's some sketch things going on that we don't really know. And because of that, I don't 100% trust what's going on with that organization. There were a lot of games in the regular season. They put out a great product. It's a lot of fun. But we want more. We can only go so far. Let's get to Nate Geary. Speaking of the Buffalo Bills, you hear Nate on the Buffalo Bills radio network. You hear him on our Odyssey Sports sister station, WGR in Buffalo. He joins us next, and we'll get some off-season thoughts as the Combine kicks into gear in Indianapolis this week. You're also welcome to join us at 866-4-FAN, 585-866-4326. You're listening to the Sports Bar with Danger and Battaglia on 95.7 FM and AM 950, The Fan Rochester. The Fan Rochester Sports Update. It is NFL Combine Week, and first up to speak, head coach Sean McDermott of the Buffalo Bills. He is to address reporters at some point this hour. We'll talk to Nate Geary, Buffalo Bills Radio Network. That's next year in the Sports Park. A new video board coming to Key Bank Arena for next season. Sabres executive Rob Minter and what to expect. Uh, what a difference it's going to make to the fan experience. It's going to be you know state-of-the-art and modernized, and we worked with Mitsubishi and really vetted the options out the past couple of months and the different sizes and angles and options. And There's so many different avenues to go down and then look forward to putting it in place for next year and, and taking that step towards improving the fan experience, which was which I certainly do. There will also be repairs to the roof at Key Bank. Emmerich are back home Wednesday taking on Syracuse. Syracuse basketball coming in that win over Notre Dame on Saturday. They're in action tomorrow night at home against Virginia Tech. Gene Battaglia, the sports leader, 95.7 FM and AM 950, the fan Rochester. Top Shelf Sports Talk. You're hanging out in the sports bar with Danger and Battaglia on the Sports Leader, 95.7 FM and AM 950, The Fan, Rochester. NFL Scouting Combine underway in Indianapolis. Is, uh, prospects, reporters, executives, all descending on the Circle City. We bring in Nate Gary. Buffalo Bills Radio Network. You can hear him also on our Odyssey Sports Sister Station, WGR. Nate, it is the offseason. Uh, we'll, we'll see some of the prospects in action. Some of them will work out. Some of them will just meet with teams. We, we know the the uh, all the circumstances that, that go into the combine. But before we get to the draft, we've got free agency. we got a lot to work with. And you know that a lot of uh, conversations are happening between Brandon Bean and player representatives. And I guess, you know, we can talk about the combine. But I wanted to start with... You know, some of these outgoing free agents that the Buffalo Bills have, and we know that every offseason it feels like they find a way to keep a couple of them. Are there any that you've had circled as guys that the Bills could or should bring back on some sort of a discount or a sweetheart deal? 
A hundred percent. And uh, good afternoon to you, gentlemen. Great to talk to you again. Happy off season. Um, <clears throat> two guys, particularly that uh, I've really kind of zeroed and got my eyes on both play the same position. Uh, Leonard Floyd, who I think, uh, you know, walked in in June uh, as what I think a lot of people thought was going to be sort of like a temporary replacement um, for Von Miller as he worked his way back from injury and turned out to be the full-time replacement for Von Miller. Um, and I think finished the season with 10 and a half sacks. Um, I think he had his million dollar bonus at the end of the year um, and fit in seamlessly into Sean McDermott's defense. So for me, that's probably priority number one. I think the the help that they got from the league and the salary cap moving to $255 million, um, you know, for this season really helped them, um, you know, in that, uh, you know, sort of idea to, to keep him and retain him and get him signed to a one or two year deal. Uh, I think it makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I think there's people out there who will say, well, you know, led the, led the bills in, in sacks. Uh, he might be, you know, in line for a bigger payday somewhere else. Um, but this is a guy that was coming off of a nine and a half sack season the year before nine, um, like it was like nine and a half, nine and then nine and a half again, um, and ended up signing a one year deal in June. So th- there will be people out there looking for his services. There's no doubt. Um, but I think, you know, the continuity, um, the opportunity to, to compete again for a Super Bowl, and, you know, I, I think a very clear cut, you know, starting role on the other side of Gregory Rousseau, um, I think is, a, is an appetizing, um, you know, kind of opportunity for, for Leonard Floyd. So that, that's my first guy. And, and my second guy, uh, on the other sort of end of this is AJ Epinesa. And, and I think, you know, a guy like Shaq Lawson's probably going to move on this offseason. They could probably say really wanted bring Shaq back at a better minimum like they did the last couple of seasons. It certainly wouldn't hurt their depth. Um, but I wouldn't mind them maybe looking to get a little bit younger and a little bit more versatile at the position though. Um, but for me, AJ Epinesa proved last year um, to have real value. Uh, and, as, and this is a, a guy that the team has, um, you know, put considerable resources in developing and, and, and sort of, you know, getting to where he's gotten in his career. And, and I think he's been a really good fit as a depth piece. He's got the ability, I think, that a lot of other people don't at the position. He's very long, uh, gets his arms in passing lanes and isn't maybe that dynamic athlete off the edge, um, but provides really good, strong depth at a position that I think that they need to continue retaining depth at. So those two guys to me um, are, are sort of one and two and, and the guys that I'd really look to, to keep and, and retain this off season. And everyone else kind of falls off the list for me at that point. Okay. One name button is off. There, there we go. go. Thank you very much. I broke the camera <laughs> earlier and I'm breaking the button here. Nate, the one name you left off there. I'm, I, I'm curious. Uh, Daquan Jones. I mean, do, do you think that the injuries may be piling up? He's north of 30. And I can I can hear your argument saying, no, oh, maybe maybe a change, but there's a big hole at defensive tackle. Sure. And if the, if the Bills don't retain some of these players, would that not point in the direction of, hey, maybe it's not going to be a wide receiver here in the first round? Yeah, you know, listen, Daquan's certainly on that short list. Um, but if I'm prioritizing a position um, right now, I know they don't have numbers at the interior part of the defensive line, but I think that's a position that you can go out in free agency and find some bargain bin players and get, you know, maybe not exact production, but similar production um, from the one technique and then maybe a backup at the three technique. I also think they're going to draft a guy within the first three rounds on the interior defensive line as well. So for me, sure, if, if Daquan, you know, could be, could be had at the right price, um, that's probably the probably guy third on my list um, as someone I'd like to bring back. But I think there is a little bit of a gap between um, AJ and, um, and, and Leonard Floyd for me, only because 
Um, I think those are players at the defensive end position. You just don't know what you have in Von Miller right now. And I don't think they can really afford to take a step back on the edge where, you know, you got, you know, you saw what you were able to get from a guy like Jordan Phillips. Heck, Puna Ford, when given the opportunity, played really good, um, had really strong reps on, on, on tape. So, um, you know, would I love to have Daquan Jones back? Yes. I think more than likely, unless he's willing to take that hometown discount, which I'm not going to rule out, um, he's going to be, I think, considerably uh, more expensive um, than a guy like AJ Epinesa and probably, um, you know, he, would, he, he may be more expensive um, than Leonard Floyd, but I think you're talking about premium position. It is the edge position, um, really making an impact, double-digit sacks. That, that, to me, has to be prioritized over what was a really strong, um, you know, start to the season and end of the season to Daquan Jones. Um, but I just think you could potentially get younger and cheaper and get very similar production from the interior at the one packing position. Nate, what are you looking forward to most in terms of what you're watching at the uh, Combine this week? Yeah, good question. Um, I mean, obviously, as, as being part of the wide receiver train, um, that is something I'll really be looking at uh, pretty closely. I know we're not going to see all the top guys, but this is an opportunity um, for a guy like Troy Franklin to be out of Oregon to maybe separate himself from the pack and move up into that conversation of the top five uh, guys. If he runs track level speed, runs, you know, high four twos, low four threes, um, that could really elevate him in the same conversation people are having um, you know, about, uh, about a lot of the other guys at the top. Now, the top three, the Dunsies, the, the um, you know, Marvin Harrison Jr., those guys are sort of in a class themselves. Um, but Troy Franklin can, can certainly make himself a lot of money with a, with a, with a really strong time. So that, someone like that, the wide receiver position, that's maybe that, that tier two or the tier three, you can, I think there's some real maneuvering that can happen in between tier three and tier two um, with some good times this week. So that's a guy that in specific that I'll be looking at because I think he's a guy I'd really like the Bills to target at the 28th pick. Yeah, I mean, we've seen Brandon Bean every year but one trade up. Uh, should we brace for that with 10, 10 draft picks or would it be more prudent knowing that you're going to need uh, depth players? You may have to have uh, your, your special teams core unit remade over. Like, like your thoughts on Brandon Bean spending some draft picks to actually move up and get the receiver he wants or would the better course of action be, Nate, just to let the draft come to you? Well, uh, I think if we use history as any, um, you know, sort of, example and or proof of what Brandon Bean is willing to do and how aggressive he is. He he's like been on record saying sometimes he can't help himself. Um, and when guys say that, uh, when a general manager in the NFL says that, uh, I'll believe it. So I will tell you that I think Brandon Bean is, if there's a guy he likes uh, and he wants and he identifies, he is, will not be scared to move up and get him. Uh, it would not surprise me at all if the bills trade up in this draft. And I also think that trading back is a very real possibility, especially if, there's a run on wide receivers and the bills sort of miss out on their guy. Um, that means that other positions, I think offensive tackle, which is deep in this draft. I also think defensive tackle, if the bills want to take a defensive tackle, they could, or they could trade back and have one of these teams jump up in front of them, move back a couple of spots, get themselves an extra second or third round pick. Um, and that could be the difference between, you know, building a really strong depth to your roster this year or not. So I, uh, I would tell you that Brandon Bean doesn't really like sitting still. If whether it's more than likely a trade up or a trade back, I could really see, um, you know, them uh, going all in. And I, do I see them trading up in the top ten and trying to get one of these receivers? I don't. Um, but I could absolutely see them moving up three or four or five spots um, if you know one of these guys fall that maybe they don't 
um, suspect and, and they want to secure the guy that's Brandon Bean's shown a history of doing that. I love the wide receiver train, Nate. And um, I think we all want the Buffalo Bills to do that. But do you think that's actually what they will do? Like we, what, what we want and what they will. I mean, let's face it. Everybody told us last year at this time that Dalton Kincaid was actually a wide receiver. They wouldn't do it two years in a row, would they? Um. I think they will. I, I don't think that they're going to bring back Gabe Davis. And even if they add a veteran at the wide receiver position in free agency, I still think there's a large enough hole there for them to convince themselves that they need to draft their number two wide receiver in the first round. But it's more to me, guys, than just drafting a guy in the first round to be your number two wide receiver this year. I think this also signifies an opportunity for them to sort of get their wide receiver one, their replacement for Stefan Diggs in waiting. Um, do I think that they're going to move on from Diggs this year? No. Do I think they're going to move on from him next year? I don't. But I think they need to start making contingency plans and have a caliber of player that is going to be capable of stepping into a true wide receiver one um, within the next two to three seasons. That's why I think using the 20th pick on a wide receiver in this draft with how deep it is makes a lot of, a lot of sense to me. So um, do I think they'll do it? I think they will. Do I think it's a foregone conclusion? I don't, because I also think this is a team and a general manager and a head coach with a history of wanting to draft assets in the defensive line, and it would not shock me at all if a Chop Robinson at Penn State or um, you know one of these defensive tackles from Texas falls to them um, that they wouldn't pull the trigger on defensive line. That would not shock me at all. What would shock me is if another corner um, or maybe even a tackle that's available there uh, is the pick. I, I think if it's not if they don't find a defensive end or defensive tackle that dramatically takes a drop and, and is a no-brainer for them, best best player available, I do think wide receiver is going to be hard to turn away in this draft. What about uh, the need in the secondary? Because you you have, we think, Micah Hyde, you know, perhaps retiring, but he certainly is a free agent. We don't know the status of Jordan Poyer. Rap is a free agent. And, okay, you have some good corners, but... Yeah, I, I'm just wondering if that's also a position of need, knowing that maybe Tredavious White uh, could be a cap casualty. So you, just your thoughts on maybe not a day one pick, but perhaps second or third round, or certainly at some point in this draft, you're going to have to uh, address the secondary, Nate. Yeah, there's no doubt. Um, I think that there's re- some really good quality um, you know, value pieces in free agency at the safety position uh, that the Bills can go like, you know, and, you know, uh, you you may be shocked, but I'm going to bring up a name that played for Notre Dame, Aloe Gilman, uh, out of the out of uh, LA, uh, as a guy that could come in and started a lot last season, could come in and not break the bank for you, be a a guy with some upside, and could come in and start for you at the other safety position. I also think um, you know they're going to want to bring back Taylor Rapp. I think he's probably. Uh, going to be one of those starting safeties next year. So bringing him back, will he already knows the system. You know, he, he's a little bit of a reckless player, but I think he's a playmaker and he makes plays. And I think another year in Sean McDermott's system will do him a lot of good. But I think there's you're destined to have at least one or two depth pieces signed in free agency. And then, yeah, the second, third, fourth round, they can absolutely target a uh, safety in, that, that I would say. I, I think that they'll view the safety position like they did last year. They'll have Rapp and Poyer. And they're going to go get another Taylor Rapp. They're going to want to have three guys they think can start um, and then build the depth behind them. I, I think that could really, uh, really, really be a move. I also wouldn't – listen, Steve Tasker said it on One Bulls Live. And unless there is some level of inside knowledge, it would seem a little crazy to me that he mentioned that he thinks it's going to be Elam and Benford as your starting safeties or starting corners mm-hmm. and having, you know, uh, Rasul Douglas as – the third guy and, or could they potentially move him back where he started the league at safety? Um, 
that would be a little surprising to me, but he said it. Steve's pretty plugged in. And if you have Kyrie Lim starting at a corner, that means you have a very good player in Rasul Douglas. Um, so I, I think the conversation about Trey White is also really interesting. Yeah. Could he potentially make a move back to safety? I think they've got, they've got bodies, veteran bodies at the cornerback position with some position flexibility that could really make it, uh, you know, could help a position of need, but it would be a projection. So we'll see what happens. But I, I do think that you're looking at at least one or two veterans and I would say a, a day two draft pick as a safety position makes a lot of yeah, sense. And I think given what they've done here with the, the changes in the coaching staff, it's almost as if they're, they're challenging Kyrie. I'm like, no more excuses. We've got your guy. We've got a guy that, that can work with you. You have to get on the field. You have to be a success. You were a first round draft pick. Let's realize your potential. I also have heard fans mention, and it goes along with what you were saying with Tasker and moving Douglas back to safety. I mean, what's Benford's skill set like where maybe he's a guy that could go back there and, and a young guy that could go back there and play in the defensive secondary for the Buffalo Bills? Uh, with Benford, guys, like I, I, he is such a natural zone corner. Um, and I think, personally, he is maybe cornerback one of the future. Mm. Um, he is just fits Sean McDermott's scheme so well, um, has those natural instincts that are really difficult to come by in the NFL playing zone. Um, I, I He had really, to me, has that potential, guys. He's got to stay healthy. He's had some injury issues over the first two, uh, first two years of his career. Um, but to me, he screams a guy uh, with, the, with the future development potential of being his team's number one corner. So, Tredavious White, because I, I, I view him as a cap casualty, or hearing you mention you know, maybe a position change and maybe you give him some time recovering from that, do, do they go back and say, hey, let, let's redo the deal, we'll bring you back, but it's going to be at, at this lower number? It's very possible. Um, Joe Biscalia had uh, a great piece on The Athletic on basically his moves he would make in order to get camp compliance and then build a little cap space so they can get they can you know make some moves. Um, he mentioned giving him an extension with a non-guarantee, meaning uh, they can move some of that money, give him some of the money he's owed up front while essentially creating a non-guaranteed contract for the future where if he is, comes back and isn't the same player, that they can get out of that contract scot-free. And that way it's not a restructure and they're not kicking the can out of it. If they restructure Trey White's contract and he can't come back or be the same player he's been, what happens is then, and they kick that contract on the road, then they can't cut him next year. So there is going to be something, I, listen, I, 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 they love Trey White. He was this, this, this regime's first draft pick. Um, he has personified everything that, you know, this team has wanted him to be as a leader. He worked so hard to come back from the injury last year. You know, he's going to work just as hard this year to come back from it. Um, it is a business at the end of the day, but I would be surprised um, if they don't go above and beyond making sure that, um, you know, that they, that they can take care of Trey White and, and, and make this work for both of them. So you mentioned some of the wide receivers uh, that are kind of gonna that we might see this week in Indianapolis, and let's zero in a little bit on on guys that might be realistic, assuming that the Bills stay at twenty eight. You mentioned the, the receiver out of Oregon. Are there other names in that area where you'd feel like you would still be getting value late in the first round, even though they're not in that upper echelon tier of wide receiver that we believe could go as high as in the top five? Yeah, listen, the name everyone loves is Brian Thomas Jr., and rightfully so. He is a dynamic receiver. Um, I mean, size, speed, 
um, kind of gives you everything. It, it's sort of like if you have, uh, I think, you know, he's going to run probably in the four fours. Um, I think he's six four, like 210, 205. Like he's got size. He's got framework. Troy Franklin, he's that six three and that four three guy, but he has got a smaller frame. He's going to probably weigh in between like 180, 185. So a little bit different of a body type. Um, and then you've got the, the two Texas guys, um, you know, Adnay Mitchell and Xavier Worthy. Um, I don't know if either of those guys are first round picks. They're probably fringe first round picks, second round picks. Um, two guys I like a lot, you know, uh, Mitchell's 6'4", almost 200 pounds. Um, but Xavier Worthy is special speed. He might run the fastest 40 time, um, you know, at the, at the combine this week. Um, he's a name I'd really look at. And I, I know another game, a name that people have been sort of down on, uh, which is Keon Coleman from, from uh, Florida State. 6'4", 215, big guy. Um, we'll see what his 40 time is. He makes those big acrobatic catches, big, you know, catch radius, goes up and gets the ball. Um, but you know, he, on film, he's the kind of guy that, that struggles separating a bit. And I wonder if the Bills and a lot of other teams get scared off of that inability to separate and he falls to the second round. But here's a name, guys, that I really want you to zero in with that could find his way moving into the end of the first round or early second round um, is Led McConkey from Georgia. Uh, had an unbelievable senior bowl. The route running precision that guy shows, his ability to track balls down the field. Oh, man. I, I, what I'm hoping is he doesn't find his way under the Kansas City Chiefs roster uh, because that, to me, is a guy that, that screams process, screams McDermott, um, and that's a guy I'd really, really like um, to, to see in this offense. And then if you kind of go down the list and look at some guys later um, in the second or third round even, if the Bills don't end up taking someone in the first round and, and this falls to a second or third round thing, Ricky Purcell, another guy at a really good senior bowl, um, Florida, um, is a guy that is a acrobatic catch guy to say the least. Um, I don't know what he's going to run. If he's a four, four guy, he could end up moving up, but I think more than likely he'll be a four five guy. Um, Roman Wilson, uh, out of, uh, Michigan, uh, kind of a more of a slot guy. Uh, but if he runs in the four threes, uh, low four threes, even high four twos, he could, um, find himself moving up the draft board as well. So those are kind of the game names that I've really paid attention to. Um, I refuse to think of anyone lower on that list because they, it needs to be one of the top 10, top 15 guys at the very, very least. Uh, Nate, last one for me. And, uh, this is the one year, uh, we're not talking about the bills drafting a running back here in the, you know, the high rounds here, but would it make sense then, uh, you know, late round six, seventh, because Latavius Murray was up there and you have Ty Johnson and I don't know what Leonard Fournette, if he would ever come back or not. My point is like, could you see the bills investing in pick? And do you have any favorites at that position as we're kind of taking a look here at, uh, thanks. Absolutely. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Say, uh, what, what was the position again that you were looking at? Running back. Running back. Oh, gentlemen, I'm so glad you asked me about running back. Yes, there is a name uh, that I would like everyone uh, to pay attention to for the combine because I don't think paying a free agent makes a lot of sense uh, unless you're bringing back, um, you know, uh, and listen, Latavius Murray, I, I, I think is on his last leg. He was really kind of getting uh, the boot for Ty Johnson. Ty Johnson, though, um, I, I don't know that he's going to be a lot more than a, um, you know, veteran minimum, which if that's the case, bring him back. And then you could still draft someone and not worry about it. I'm going to tell you that Audric Estime of Notre Dame has <laughs> everything you could want to, as a fit in this offense. I think he could end up being the first running back off the board, though. That's the problem because 
he is going to wow people at the combine if he can run a sub four or five. If even if it's like a four four eight four four nine, four, he's probably a four or five guy. He's five eleven two thirty. He is a monster. He can hurdle people, but the breakaway speed was the thing. I watched every single carry he's ever had at the at the University of Notre Dame, and he is a special special athlete. I, I just they don't make him a lot like him um, with size, speed, power, and athleticism. Um, if he was like there in the third or in the fourth round, oh, I, I, Brandon should run the card up to the podium. Use that uh, use that compensatory pick um, as a true sort of uh, perfect pairing. You're not going to lose speed. Um, he's not as dynamic as James Cook, but man, if you're talking about a thunder and lightning, that would be the combo, gents. Nate, uh, we, we know that uh, the prospects will be on display, but we also know that Brandon Bean will be spending time talking to representation, free agents that are out there as Tamper Fest is underway in Indianapolis. What's the line for free agent wide receivers when it comes to the Buffalo Bills? Because I think we were underwhelmed by Sherfield and Hardy, but I also think that that's become our expectation now as, as far as what the Bills could do in free agency. Where's that line? Is it DJ Chark this year? Is, is that where the line is set as far as the caliber of receiver that the Buffalo Bills could take? Yeah, I, I personally don't love that name. I, I'm I'm all aboard. Well, you know, I shouldn't say I don't love the DJ Shark idea. He's just the guy to me. It's just a line. Hasn't... It's just a line. It's not the guy. It's not me saying that's the guy that they got to go get. That's just kind of where I put the line. Like anything above DJ Shark or below DJ Shark is where I feel like the Bills could, you know, if they go below DJ Shark, sure. that would fit the expectation I have. To me, the guy that I've been thinking of since the season ended was Kendrick Bourne. Um, coming off the ACL injuries, likely a one-year contract, trying to reestablish his value, coming off of the injury. If he, he is a deep threat, and I, he would not stop you at all from drafting a wide receiver high. Um, here's an interesting one, and stop me if you've heard this before. Odell Beckham Jr. <laughs> and the reason I say that is he had a very – low productive season. He stayed healthy, played in 14 games, only had 35 catches, and he got $18 million guaranteed last year. He is not going to get anywhere close to that after the season he had. And I think that there's more juice in that, in that, uh, in that fruit to squeeze. I just think he played an offense that, you know, frankly, isn't the most high caliber passing offense in the league. Um, he could be a name and they flirted for the last two seasons together if Von Miller could 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 be a value, it would be. Could you get could you get Odell Beckham Jr. in here um, for a nice two year deal with a void year at the end of that, and, and something low up front this year, and, and with a heavy incentive based contract um, that could be. They floored with each other for two years. It wouldn't surprise me at all. But there's other names um, to me that I think you could really zero in as a guy that would make a ton of sense for this team, and it's Noah Brown from Houston. 28 years old, he's coming off a 33 catch season, formerly of Dallas. He'd be a low. Um, you know, low level free agent, you know, his market value on spot tracks, like $2.5 million. Um, but again, I, I'm thinking of guys like who, who are guys that you could sign that provide a good wide receiver for ceiling that wouldn't stop you at all from drafting a first round wide receiver. And those are some of the names I'm looking at. LaVisca Chenault as well, because he would provide some special teams value. Um, that would be a name too. And I know Chris Trapasso loves him as well. There's a, there's an unknown, a great unknown in all of this as well. And all we really know is what we saw of him before he was drafted by the bills last year. What do we think about Justin shorter heading into year two? I mean, essentially redshirted his rookie year. I have no clue whatsoever. Um, <laughs> like I just, I have no idea what you're getting with him. You know, he struggled um, for how big he is in training camp. I remember watching on the sidelines, him struggle a little bit against press man. Um, and there was a couple of reps that Kyrie Lam really kind of took his lunch. So 
I don't know. Um, you know, he got to basically redshirt a full season to your point. We'll see how that looks going into next year. I, I guess I'm not banking on him taking some sort of big step um, and being a guy they can count on next season. Nate, it's great hearing your voice. Feels like football season here, bud. Thanks so much for your time. Close. Today. Close, guys. We're close. No, we're not at all, actually. <laughs> but, uh, I, you know, listen, you know, I got a lot of draft coverage coming up here on WGR. I'll be hosting uh, all three days like I did last year and the nice. year before. Um, so as we get closer, I'll keep, you know, reading all of these. Uh, rankings and draft profiles and somehow store them into long-term memory. I don't know how I do it. I, if only I could apply this to like finance yeah. and I could become one of those wizards where I can do math on the spot, but I could barely add, but man, I can remember someone's height and weight in 40 time. We appreciate your time today. If only for uh, making us dust this one off. When I was sitting at home and there was nothing but silence, this is what came over me. As we're waiting for that, I'll keep you posted. I, I regret it. I, I regret bringing it up. Uh, and I, I knew I knew when I heard in the background, you guys like give me a little bit of a reaction that something dumb was to follow. I'm just I'm, I'm disappointed in myself. Frankly. Well, well, it's on. It's back. Odell Beckham Jr. And we're blaming you, Nate. We, we appreciate right. it as always. <laughs> no worries, folks. There is Thanks, Nate Dave. Gary bringing back Odell Beckham Jr. into the conversation. <sighs> He'll be one of those guys that's sitting out there for of a course, while, right? Yeah. Of course, because he believes he's worth more than teams are actually willing to pay him. And, you know, if he can get $15 million for the production he put out last year in, in Baltimore, God bless him. Good for him. It's not the kind of move I see the Bills making, but maybe, maybe they get him at a discount. Who knows? Sean McDermott is speaking right now. And one of the first questions, one of the questions we wanted to know, who's calling the plays? And he guesses what his response would be, Mike Danger. We're, we're still working through that. Quote, we'll make the call on who is calling plays on defense in time. We'll take it a step at a time. I've always been impressed with Bobby Babbage's ability, blah, blah, blah. blah. Okay, so he didn't give you an answer. Fair fair enough. Kind of what we expected. Uh, Let's come back to happy hour. We'll have more of uh, McDermott's quotes from the combine as he's speaking. And um, we'll have happy hour as well. Your calls at 866-4FAN, 585-866-4326. You're listening to the Sports Bar with Danger and Battaglia on 95.7 FM and AM 950, The Fan Rochester.